Well, good afternoon, everyone, and my thanks for taking the time to watch and listen today. Here at the podium with me is the Minister for Health and Social Care, and joining us virtually is the Minister for Education, Sport and Culture. In recent days, the number of COVID-19 cases on the island has been increasing. But with the strong uptake in our game-changing vaccination programme, over 116,000 doses administered and over 88% of those eligible having had at least their first dose, we have been able to shift our focus away from raw case numbers. This is because the protection vaccination gives us as individuals and our wider community is significant. The key metric now is hospital capacity and the number of people who are seriously ill with COVID. I am pleased to report that currently we have no hospital admissions with COVID-19. As the number of cases increases, however, it is inevitable that we will see some people having to go into hospital. But each day, more and more people in our community become fully vaccinated against the virus. And whilst this does not offer complete protection, no vaccine does, and we must remember that, however, it does enable us to move forward. As case numbers have crept up, so has the number of close contacts required to isolate for 10 days. We have been watching this number closely. I know the impact this has had on many parts of our community. Yesterday evening, the total number of people in isolation had reached around 900 with 800 of those being close contacts. Fully vaccinated close contacts have not been required to isolate for several weeks now, so numbers have been lower than they could have been. And whilst we have made massive strides in rolling out vaccines, we still have around 12,000 second doses to administer in the coming weeks. That is thousands of people who, if identified as close contacts, have been required to self-isolate. This has affected staffing, particularly for smaller organisations, with some having to temporarily close. And of course, it has affected our young people and our schools. This has caused understandable concern. Government has listened to these concerns and we have acted on them. Yesterday, we announced a change in approach to isolation requirements for close contacts who are not fully vaccinated. A new home testing scheme was launched meaning an end to PCR testing and self-isolation for people identified as close contacts of someone with the virus so long as they have no COVID symptoms. This is all close contacts, whether you live with someone who was tested positive for the virus or not. This is our policy going forward, but the change also applies retrospectively. This removed around 800 people from isolation yesterday evening meaning that they were able to return to work and school this morning. Contact tracing will continue to take place and close contacts will still be notified. However, instead of being directed to isolate, they are now being strongly encouraged to take part in the free seven-day home testing scheme and to be extra vigilant for symptoms, of course. I must be clear that this change of self-isolation rules only affects those who are identified as close contacts. Anyone who is self-isolating because they have tested positive for the virus must continue to self-isolate in accordance with their direction notice. The home test kits called lateral flow devices are available in packs of seven free of charge. 
Close contacts are encouraged to take a test every day for seven days from when they are notified they're a close contact by the COVID-111 team. These tests are less intrusive on people's lives and minimise inconvenience whilst helping to keep us all safe. Test kits are first and foremost to offer close contacts peace of mind as to whether or not they are likely to have the virus. But the results also offer useful data for government in relation to monitoring the number of tests being used and the results. So we have launched an anonymous online reporting system on the COVID-19 website where close contacts can confirm their daily negative results. Anyone who receives a positive home test result or anyone who develops symptoms should immediately, should immediately isolate and call 111 and they will be offered a PCR test. That's if necessary. If the PCR test comes back as positive, they will have to self-isolate for 10 days. We have made thousands of home test kits available yesterday evening for close contacts who were released from isolation. And my thanks go out to Civil Defence and everyone involved in making these quickly available. I know there was strong demand and I thank the public for their patience. Test kits are now available free of charge from a number of pharmacies around the island with full details of participating outlets available on the COVID-19 website. Kits will again be available this evening between 8pm and 10pm from the car parks at Balakameen High School, Castle Russian, the Queen Elizabeth II High School and Ramsey Grammar School. If you're collecting test kits, you must wear a face covering. And if collecting from a pharmacy, please observe, observe social distancing rules within the premises. As with so many twists and turns during this pandemic, I'm ever conscious, conscious that, a number, uh, that a change in approach will be welcomed by some, whilst others in our community will be more cautious. These decisions are never easy. It comes back to that phrase I often turn to, the balance of risk. Our vaccination programme means that tens of thousands of islanders are now as protected from the virus as is possible. We know vaccination reduces the risk of serious illness and death, and that it also reduces the chance of someone with the virus spreading it. This is a leap forward, and it means we can continue to adjust our approach to COVID-19 as we adapt and learn to live with the virus. Changes to self-isolation and the introduction of home testing for close contacts is another step on that journey. The majority of close contacts do not typically go on to develop the virus, especially those outside the household of a positive case. Therefore, we need to take a balanced approach to this, as we did when we removed fully vaccinated individuals from precautionary isolation. Whilst of course there is a level of increased risk from this approach, we are now at that point where we must take a more proportionate response to these risks. Personal choice, responsibility and judgement all remain important. If you've been identified as a close contact, think about how you go about your daily life in the 10 days after you've been notified. A combination of daily self-testing and asking the public to consider mitigations and their personal choices is on balance an appropriate alternative to having large numbers of our community in self-isolation. 
whilst there is no legal restrictions on close contacts, anyone told they are a close contact should consider telling their employer that they have been identified as a close contact and letting them know if they will be undertaking daily home testing. Telling friends, family and colleagues who may feel anxious or vulnerable so they can make informed choices. Thinking about who they contact with in the 10 days after being told they're a close contact. Taking precautions that may make them and others feel safer, such as minimising face-to-face close contact, avoiding confined and poorly ventilated areas, or wearing a face covering as appropriate. I know there are a number of topics the Health and Social Care Minister wishes to cover, so I'll hand over to David. David. Thank you very much, Chief Minister. Um, the first thing I have to raise is that sadly there's been reports in recent days of members of the public being rude, verbally abusive and even aggressive towards health and social care staff, particularly those who are swabbing at the grandstand and also people working in local pharmacies. Some of our swabbing team have even been reduced to tears by people's behaviour. Although this is a minority as they do receive many warm messages of thanks for the amazing job they're doing, abusive and rude behaviour is completely unacceptable and it has to stop. The team leader will not hesitate to call the police and will be fully supported in doing so should aggressive or rude behaviour continue. Health and social care staff are trying to help all members of the public at the moment during what is very difficult and trying circumstances for all of us. And it's important that people respect the very difficult role that those on the front line are doing. So please let them get on with their jobs and respect them for the job that they are doing. Turning to vaccination status letters, Manx Care is providing hard copy letters for Manx residents who require evidence of their vaccination status for travel. We would have hoped by now to have had access to NHS Digital, but due to the current prioritisation around that workload, that has not happened. So this is an alternative means for those who are travelling internationally to be able to prove their vaccination status. The important thing to state is that it's for urgent purposes only. So that means those who are travelling off island in the next two weeks and where their destination country requires evidence of vaccination for entry. Many places require a test or another form of evidence for vaccination and people need to check what is required by the specific country that they are going to. To be absolutely clear, the letter is not needed for travel to the UK. This week, Manx Care has provided 420 letters of vaccination status. So this service has been put in place, as I say, as a short-term solution, but please only ask for a letter if you're travelling in the next two weeks and that you are travelling internationally. Again, I'm disappointed to say we have had instances of rudeness towards staff and people making unreasonable demands and arguing with the call handlers. Again, please only ask for a letter if you are travelling internationally and you absolutely need it. You do not require a letter to travel into the UK. Also, a reminder for people to continue to attend their vaccination appointments. If people please check when their appointment is and don't try not to miss their appointment. If you can't attend your appointment due to isolating or other reasons, please let 111 know so they can rearrange things. Please also do not turn up to the vaccination hubs if you've been told to isolate, have symptoms or have returned a PCR or lateral flow test. 
And finally, Ramsey Cottage Hospital is the place to go for minor injuries. Earlier this week, we advised people with minor ailments and injuries to attend Ramsey Cottage Hospital Minor Injuries Unit. Basically, the unit up there does what it says on the tin. The specialists there are trained in dealing with minor injuries and the hospital is equipped with the same standard and range of equipment for imaging as Nobles. Nobles Emergency Department is currently exceptionally busy at present, so medical emergencies should continue to go to Nobles as normal. But please go to Ramsey for minor injuries because also it will benefit you as a patient as your wait will be much shorter and you'll be able to be seen by the superb nurse specialists that we have up there. Thank you very much, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. Now, the Council of Ministers has been reviewing a number of our COVID-19 policies and exploring what measures need to be in place for the summer so we continue to flex our response to meet the circumstances we face. We have done this regularly throughout the pandemic, but it has been particularly important as we approach the dissolution of the House of Keys and the general election. Changes to regulations will, be go, will go before Timwald at its first scheduled sitting next week, and I will, of course, update you on what Timwald agrees. Let's take some questions now. And first we have Ariane Barua from 3FM. Good afternoon, Ariane. Faster my. Good afternoon, Chief. Um, my first question is, how do you determine who is a close contact? What's the criteria used? Well, it's, it's, we, we have a team of investigators who will speak to the person and decide um, over the course of the last few days who they've been with, how long they've been with, um, and they make that decision themselves. But I'm sure David can give a more detailed answer. Yeah, I'm happy to come in, Chief Minister. Um, it's a various range of things, and it's looked at on an individual basis. So, for instance, as the Chief Minister's just mentioned there, it involves looking at who people have been in contact with and how that contact's occurred. So, for instance, have they been sat down in an enclosed environment with very little ventilation? Have they spent a substantial period of time with that person, possibly talking face-to-face? -face? Um, have they been hugging? Have they been interacting with that person? Or have they met in an wide open space and it's literally been a two minute conversation and move on all of that feeds into the team who then make a judgment around whether they believe someone is a close contact based on those um, things so it is done on a unique in case by case basis um, but those are the sort of things that the contact tracers are looking for thank you and um, so just to clarify if you haven't been contacted by 111 to say that you are a close contact then you can assume that you're not is that right? That is correct. That's been exactly the same throughout the pandemic period. Um, if you haven't been contacted by 111, then you don't have to do anything. Thank you. I, I just have one more question, if that's okay, from yeah. a, a listener who uh, has called in. She is the mother of a, a newborn, and she's feeling pretty terrified about leaving the house. Could you clarify the government advice on protecting the very young now that the border restrictions have eased, please? David. Yeah, I'm happy to take that as well, Chief Minister. Um, now, it, it is an exceptionally nervous time for many people out in our community and new parents particularly you know, are going to feel very nervous. What I would say is the risks to young children and particularly newborn children um, with COVID is 
very, very low. Um, it doesn't mean they can't contract the virus, but they are, they are less likely to do so, mainly because of their environment. A newborn baby tends to stay with the parent. So, in fact, actually any contraction is likely to be from parents passing it down. But the risks to children, particularly of that age group, are infinitely low. So what I would say is it's natural that people will be cautious, but the risks... Um, are quite marginal. If people are concerned, then there are measures they can take. So when they go into places, think about is it a crowded place? Is the place well ventilated? Um, so for instance, if you're going into a cafe, are the windows open? Is the door open? You might decide you want to sit somewhere different depending upon the ventilation in that place. Um, so keep your, you know, wash the hands as always. And if parents are really concerned, they themselves may wish to wear face masks out and about. Um, masks do actually protect those around us and there is some limited um, ability to protect the wearer as well um, and you know more and more people may decide they wish to use face masks out and about with the current outbreak and they should be applauded for doing so if they decide to do so. Thank you very much Ariane. Now we turn to Paul Moulton from Isle of Man Television. Good afternoon Paul, fast am I. Hello there. I was hoping Dr. Hewitt would be with you today. A very important day to hear from her, really, as, but I understand she's not there. So I'll put this question to you. Are the medical advisors to Comin 100% on board with the actions you're currently taking? Yes, they, they are indeed, Paul. I mean, David, you're in contact with them far more than I am. In terms of public health, public health is uh, has been supportive and public health has been at the Council of Ministers' meetings when these decisions have been made. So Dr Hewitt is on board. So the Director of Public Health has been involved in the decision-making process um, and certainly she's not voiced to me concerns around where we're going. We have to remember everything that we do is a balance of risk, um, but the Director of Public Health has not opposed any of the measures that have been brought in. Uh, the medics too, though? Just, can we be clear about this? The medical opinion is actually split, Paul. Um, on all decisions, you know, I'll be perfectly honest, there is a split in the medical opinion. Some medics don't think this is the right approach, some think that it is. Um, and that has been the same throughout the pandemic on every decisions that have made. There's some in the medical community who support certain, um, certain decisions and there's some that don't. You will remember during the main outbreak last year, um, there was one particular medic who took to social media, um, but, that, you know, but there was other medics who were supportive of the approach. So it's not, I can't stand here and say it's 100% agreement because that just wouldn't be true. Um, but there are medics who support um, the route that we're taking. Um, it's done on a balance of risk approach. And just the last part of that, the medical, medical director is on board? So in terms of the medical director herself, um, her views have been fed into the process. She does have differing views in some areas um, and again I've got to be perfectly honest on that but we have to do things and councillor ministers we have to come to a conclusion listening to all individuals so we have to listen to public health we have to listen to the wider medical opinion we have to listen to the medical director's opinion but we also have to consider other things because we're not just discussing the individual health of the nation we have to look at figures around vaccination we have to look at the economic impact and the social impact and also the wider impacts of mental health and everything else and from that council of ministers then comes to a view okay and um we're obviously seeing that in the uk that the wearing of masks continues in public transport you know particularly in those sort of things the government's putting on a, an event uh, for cavendish uh, albeit outside admittedly but is this a, a risk that we should be taking or should we everyone should be thinking carefully about going to any big events with be it inside outside with or without ventilation well you're quite right paul we are we are doing this and 
we are asking people to take responsibility for their own actions. So if you feel that you have a severe health risk and you're concerned about um, going to a large area, such whether it be the football match, which happened not long ago, um, you need to decide, it, it, as where I'm going, is it safe for me to go there? So we're not saying you shouldn't go, but we say you should decide for yourself whether you want to wear a face mask um, it's outside, so it's not going to be in a confined area where there's a greater chance of getting infection. These have to be choices for people. And wherever you go, whether it be a small cafe where it's poorly ventilated, or if it's th as David said time and time before, are the windows open, is the door open to um, get good ventilation around? People have to accept responsibility for their own actions. And I, I believe they will on the whole. So your advice, if you went to a, a supermarket, would you yourself put on a mask? Um, I suppose it would depend on the number of people in there. If, if I went in, it was absolutely rammed. Yes, I would put on a, a, a mask. I'd like, I look forward to the day when I have time to go to a supermarket, Paul. But yes, if it was absolutely crammed, I would put a mask on. If it was pretty dead and the odd time when I do go, I try and go when it's quiet um, to, to get a, a few bits and bobs. Mr Ashford? Um, well, if you're in a superstore where there's a large volume of people, most definitely I, from this point on, will be wearing a mask, um, particularly if there's not ventilation. I don't believe it's a well-ventilated area. But again, this comes down to personal choice, Paul. People have to make their own assessments. So if your shops differ, shops are like anything else, they differ. You'll have some that have very, very good ventilation, wide open spaces with not a lot of people. You'll have some that are very enclosed. And people need to make a judgment call. Personally, where it's a crowded space with very little ventilation, Ventilation, I personally will be using a mask. Yeah. And that takes in buses and things like that as well, I'm taking it. You'd suggest on public transport? Well, it's personal at this moment in time, Paul. It's personal choice. Um, if I was to go on a bus, I would wear a mask, but that's my choice. We're putting it down to people to think. And obviously, if there's only a few handful of people on the bus, well, people might decide differently but at this moment in time, it, it is down to the individual. But we, we have to analyse, Paul, that where our thinking had been previously, say, pre-vaccination to where we are now, 90% of the population of the Isle of Man have had at least one vaccination. And therefore, the protection, for, and especially our most vulnerable, I think, to have two jabs and um, two, weeks apart, two weeks since the last jab is in the high 90%. So we have to move forward. The risk changes, and we move tentatively forward. And I know people will be concerned. I, I get the emails and text messages, etc., as, as much as I'm sure the health minister does. But we have to move forward. We can't stand still. The number of people in hospital is at zero. The vaccination is rolled out to a high percentage of our island and we're taking steps forward to get out of your lives and we're asking people to think about yourself, to look after yourself with the ventilation, with wearing of masks. Washing hands, a very important thing. And because of good hygiene and more people washing hands, we've also seen a significant reduction in the number of colds on the island. But anyway, thank you very much for that, Paul. Now we move on to Dave Moore from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Dave. Fast am I. Fast am I. Um, does the government know how many people in the island is isolating? Um, are you in a position to gather that data, or is it estimates and guesswork when it comes to making decisions with regard to isolation? Well, yesterday I was advised that there was 900... I think I gave it in my speech, Dave, that there was nine, circa 900 people isolating, of which um, 800 were, were close contacts. So by making the changes we did yesterday, we instantly took 800 people out 
of um, isolation. That said, if, if you ha have COVID-19, then you must stay in, in isolation. I don't know, David, have you got any better numbers? No, the numbers change daily because obviously you've got people going into isolation, you've got people coming out. So during the main part of the pandemic, um, you, people may have heard me at this press conference give a figure and there was a manual calculation done to get the figure each day. Um, currently, I believe it's done as and when required to get a figure as they have for the Chief Minister's speech. Um, but the key point now is with the changes that we've done to isolation, the figure in isolation will come radically down. Um, and what people need to focus on more is around the actual hospitalisation. We need to get to a point eventually where COVID is treated like other diseases. Um, we don't issue daily stats and everything else for other diseases. And at some point, that point will come where there won't be the level of information that's currently released on the daily basis. Now, that will be maybe a way off yet, but certainly we do need to prepare that we now need to start looking at COVID. And this is another step on the way, like we do other diseases that circulate in the community. Okay. Um, last night when it was announced, it's now down to the individual to self-isolate, etc. That would appear that the government is no longer taking responsibility. Is that the case? Is the government abrogating responsibility? If the situation worsens, um, will you be putting your hands up saying it's no longer down to us now? You know, it's, it's down to the members of the public to make the decisions themselves? Well, it's not a case that we're not taking responsibility, Dave. We're just analysing the risk, looking at the percentage of people of the population who've been vaccinated and the impact that um, people having to isolate is having on the community, especially on small businesses. So if you look at the number of people who, who are close contacts who will go on to um, develop COVID, it's a fairly small number. And therefore, by handing out seven-day testing kits for those people to um, do every day, we are we feel we're, we're moving forward by helping the community, um, helping businesses stay in business and, and helping people go about their daily life whilst trying to give as much protection as we can to the general population. I don't know, David, if you want to expand on that. Yeah, yeah if I could, Chief Minister. And far from abrogating responsibility, we are providing lateral flow testing to allow people to continuously monitor themselves for the following week. But equally, in terms of what we were doing up until last night, to be quite frank, it fell behind the living with COVID process. Because what we were basically saying is that if you were a close contact, even despite the fact that you might not have the virus, we were going to legally isolate you for 10 days um, with two tests. So what that actually meant is we were locking down an awful lot of people who had not infected, who were not going to go on to develop the virus, and all of the economic and socio effects that come with that. And so if we are going to start living with the virus, what we have to do is allow people to make personal choices, but also allow people to start living their lives, because that's the key thing. If you're going to live with the virus, you've got to be able to live. And from my point of view, quite frankly, that policy slightly ended up out of step. What we've done yesterday is we've brought that policy back into line with the Living with COVID strategy, and we are giving people the ability to test. An abrogation of responsibility would have been saying releasing all the close contacts and offering them no ability to be tested. We're not doing that. We are providing the LFTs so they can continue to monitor, and if they test positive, they can come forward to 111 to have that verified, and then obviously be isolated away so it's about community responsibility so just to clarify then that what happened last night with the announcement about self-isolation etc um that wasn't you giving in to public demand 
No, absolutely not, um, Dave. It was a step forward in in the um, fight against or living with COVID, where we've given the um, testing kits. We, we've got um, tens of thousands of these lateral flow kits now on the island, and we I think we gave out six thousand last night um, to to people to to go forward. So it's just moving forward, trying to make people's lives as easy as possible on the Isle of Man, whilst we live and learn to live with COVID. Thank you very much, Dave. Now we move on to Paul Hardman from Alaman Newspapers. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. A recent peer-reviewed study found that one dose of the Pfizer vaccine offers barely any protection against the Delta variant. Now that we are knowingly importing this variant to our shores, what can you say to the significant proportion of our population who are still yet to have a second dose and now have to face this risk? And what about those who cannot be vaccinated? How are they to protect themselves once the virus gains a foothold here? Right. Well, I know David will want to comment on this, yeah. and especially on the hardly any um, yeah. protection. Yeah. So in relation to the study I think you're referring to, Paul, about the Pfizer dose, um, in relation to that, that was taken when people were first dosed. And I also believe that that is in relation to symptomatic disease, presenting symptomatic disease. It's not in relation to preventing hospitalisation and death, where actually recent studies have shown that one dose, both of AstraZeneca and Pfizer, are still effective against preventing um, um, uh, preventing serious illness and death. In terms of the actual, um, in, ter in terms of uh, people um, uh, being in the vulnerable category, what I would say is the advice to the vulnerable is the same advice, public health advice that is put out around other circulating diseases, which is exactly the messages we've put out now, um, which is around crowded spaces. Consider, do you want to be there? Is that the right environment for you? Do you wish to wear a mask while you're out and about if it gives you that extra level of safety? Um, cleaning hands, ensuring that hygiene is kept, uh, and also, crucially, again, to make the point, ventilation of spaces, ensuring that you're in well-ventilated areas. So that's exactly the same as we would offer as advice for other respiratory diseases that circulate in the community that people will be equally as vulnerable to, including many of those that are vulnerable to COVID. Yeah, I think it's. I'm, I'm glad you raised that, Paul, because I quite often get emails or messages. I even had a political colleague um, misinterpret data um, where they were quite concerned. They, they'd read a, a graph which uh, they thought said that if you caught COVID and you'd been vaccinated, you got COVID worse than if you'd been non-vaccinated. And people tend to look at data and they don't take into context what that data is is, is telling you. And I hope. Um, the health minister has reassured you that you do have a significant level of protection after just one dose from hospitalisation and death. Yes, it may not stop you um, have a lower um, restrictions in you catching it after just one um, dose, but it does give you that protection for the really key concerns we all have of having to go to hospital or even worse, dying. Your next question, Paul. Secondly, you say we have to move forward. What is the upside to importing the virus with this mitigation strategy? At border level 2.5, family were able to visit, which eased what was arguably the most damaging impact of the border restrictions. What is the trade-off benefit of Romania at level one? Is it simply to benefit the travel economy and facilitate tourism? And does this truly weigh up against the significant health consequences that we'll face now that we have mass spread here, like long COVID, for example? Well, I think you you have to look at all the data again, Paul. If you look at long COVID, um, the the data up to 12 weeks shows that 10, 12% of the population, if they catch COVID, will have 
long COVID, but that's only 12 weeks. People like myself who have had it for over a year are down to about 2 3% of the population. So we are moving forward as we have more of the population protected with the vaccina vaccination programme. I think I, I said we're now over 116,000 doses on the Isle of Man, which means nearly 90% of our population have now been protected. We know that our younger population um, are relatively um, lucky, fortunate, that if they do get COVID, it's nowhere near as severe as those of us who are above a certain age. I don't know, um, David, do you want to add to that? Yeah, so this is another step that we've taken on the road to normality. And we've said all along that we would take steps. And I, I've always been quite honest. This was always going to be the most difficult part because the borders were are, and are still our greatest defence. And as we released those and started trying to move back to normal, that was always going to be the most awkward part. It was going to be the bit that made people feel most vulnerable and most uncomfortable and that is why we have again been taking it a stage at a time but as we come to live with COVID we we have to move on we've always said one of the measures we would use is our vaccination program and the chief minister's laid out quite clearly there about the vaccination program we've got 88 percent of the population that's had one dose 72% of the adult population has now completed the vaccination programme. And in fact, if you look at the vulnerable, um, so that's those over 50 and those who are clinically vulnerable and in care homes, etc., 93% of our vulnerable population came forward for a vaccination. And of that 93% that came forward, 96% have now completed the vaccination programme. So that puts us in a very different place to where we've been previously. And we have to remember again why we did and went through the lockdowns, why we went through that pain as a society. What we were doing was we were protecting the NHS to try and prevent it becoming overwhelmed. We know that the vaccination has a benefit there in preventing serious illness and ending up with people in hospital. And that is why that is now our measure. It's not around number of cases. And I've, as I've said before, if you had a thousand cases on Ireland, but all thousand of those cases were well in themselves, your reaction would be different to say if you had 30 cases and they're not well and they're all in hospital. So it's not around the numbers anymore. And it is sometimes hard, particularly since one of the driving forces and tensions over this pandemic has been on case numbers and it's hard for me as well I've said that before to switch that mindset we've now got to start thinking of this as we do with other diseases and it's the outcome that matters thank you very much you. Paul now we move on to Sam Turton from Jeff good afternoon Sam nice to see you back in your chair uh, first to my chief minister I'm glad uh, Minister Ashford talked about vulnerable people because this morning we've had a selection of emails in from uh, amongst other people, uh, Tara, Fiona and Victoria, who have all touched on the same subject, that there are vulnerable children on this island who have not been able to get vaccinated. And they're concerned about not only their children being in school, but what happens over the summer if they can't go out and play with their friends, and also what happens next September when the schools go back. What are we doing to protect vulnerable children? And just as a further point to that, they've said that the British Medical Association has warned the UK government their plans are currently irresponsible. If we're following a similar vein of things, are we not irresponsible in ourselves of doing this when we have these children who are not yet protected? 
Right, well, I think I'll ask David to do an element of that, and then if we could hand over to Alex, the Education Minister. Yeah, if I could take it from the health angle before we pass over to Alex. In relation to children, even those children that would be classed as vulnerable, so with underlying health conditions, there's been various studies done around the world. There's been a very big study done in the US where they've had large numbers of children um, that have actually contracted COVID, so it's a very good population size to do it across. And even with the vulnerable category, the risk to children is exceptionally low so they, should they catch COVID it is much much lower um, than adults and in fact is in line with many other respiratory diseases that circulate so it is natural again as I said at the start when we mentioned about the young baby and the new mother for parents to be concerned um, you know it's natural for parents to be concerned about their children um, about the risks to them but to emphasize again the risk even to those in the vulnerable category of children is very low as I've laid out before, exactly the same as we would advise for those with vulnerable children in any other respiratory disease outbreak, the same applies about ventilated spaces. Um, and the unfortunate thing is COVID isn't going to go away. Um, it is likely to be circulating in some form forever. And I think, you know, we've got to start moving forward with living with it. And that is going to be nerve wracking for those who are vulnerable. But we have the public health advice there about ventilated spaces, about mask wearing, about do, doing what people themselves feel is safe at this time. But equally, the risk to children, I've got to emphasize again, is still by the studies that are coming out exceptionally low, even if they do have underlying health conditions and they do fall into the vulnerable category. And I'll hand over to Alex. Thank, thank, thank you very much. I mean, it, to put it into perspective, I think it, as the health minister said, it is very important to, to remember that even those children with underlying conditions such as asthma, cystic fibrosis, cor coronary um, abnormalities are at very, very small risk of actually getting seriously unwell or ending up in hospital. I think it's also very important for parents to talk to their health professionals about their own child's condition. Because at the start of the pandemic, we were worried about children who might have moderate to severe asthma. But now we know far more about the effect of COVID on children. And that's at risk and that concern has receded. So what I'd be saying to, to any um, parents is if you have a child who's got some um, particular medical conditions, please have a chat with your hospital specialist, get their advice in terms of the right way of dealing with that risk. In terms of schools, we are making them as safe as possible, and we're particularly you know, emphasising the fact that if your child is unwell, for whatever reason, whether that be COVID-like symptoms or diarrheal illnesses or just a common cold, please don't send them to school. Please make sure that they're well enough before they go in there, because by protecting yourself and protecting your family, you will also protect the whole community. Thank you, Chief Minister. Okay, Sam. Thank you. And secondly... With, in terms of the electoral protests, we've heard, I mean, Manx Care and the government themselves have said today about the number of, of calls being made as affecting uh, for, uh, call lines across the whole of government. In terms of that, there's also an issue here where testing is now being to take longer. I've spoken to an MHK, they said one of their constituents was told to be a four-day wait after electoral protests come back positive. They've then rang up and said, I need a PCR test, and they've been told they can carry on with their daily lives until they have a PCR test. Is this system essentially setting up to fail here? Well, I certainly hope not. I, I know they've been inundated at this moment in time, Sam, with phone calls. I think they had 
1600 over the weekend or whatever. But David, I know you've been looking into this. Yes, yeah. So in relation to 111, there was particularly pinch point pressures over the last few days um, because of the numbers of people. Because let's not forget, 111 has to book all the testing as well. That will now be relieved by what we've done with close contacts because they do not have to book all those close contacts for PCR testing. But also, having spoken to the head of 111 this morning, they are in the process of changing their procedures. So for instance, I had a constituent who's been waiting several days. They had their test book today um, and the system seems to be speeding up again. In terms of lateral flow testing, there is no legal requirement for anyone to isolate off a positive lateral flow. Um, but personally, I would suggest but this is only myself, I'm not a clinician. Um, personally, if it was me, I would, I would isolate until I'd had the PCR test. But just in terms of that, if this is also going to be affecting people returning to the island, is this not going to prevent people from being able to travel until they've been double vaccinated? Because if they're expecting to get a test within 48 hours and they're looking at 72, to four, 72 hours to four days... Well, no, I, I, I've just I've just laid out the fact that 111 has changed its procedures that should actually speed the testing process up. So just as we saw in January, if you remember, Sam, if we go back to the January outbreak, we saw a peak um, and 111 was absolutely inundated for several days and people did have to bear with us. The same has happened again, but the pressure is now starting to relieve. And by doing all the changes we've done with the closed contacts, it also releases pressure on that service because previously what 111 would have done is they would have had to book in all of the closed contacts for a day for a day one test and they would have had to book them all in um, for their final test as well on day nine um, for their isolation. They will not have to do that now, so that releases testing capacity, it releases capacity for 111 to deal with other queries, and that's what we're starting to see today. Yeah, so hopefully in a couple of days, Sam, we'll be back to the sort of standards that people have expected for a turnaround, but uh, as David's just explained, now the, the, there'll be more um, people available to do the testing for the people who... Um, are coming back from trips or coming to the island or have had COVID and need that final test. So we reacted to a situation where we knew we had a problem and this has certainly helped the situation going forward. But thank you very much, Sam, for those questions. Next, last, next, um, next, but last but not least, Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Good day. Um, earlier in this week... England's government scientists advised that people there could expect to see up to 200 daily deaths and up to 2,000 hospital admissions every day, that is, when restrictions are lifted there next week. Um, extrapolate those figures down to our population size. You do round out at about one to two deaths a week and more than a dozen new hospital admissions each week too. Is that living with it? Can the hospital cope with those numbers who might be spending a long time in hospital? And are you, as the leader of the government, prepared to accept that potential consequence? Well, that's UK figures. That's not what we've been led to believe. We have two, three hundred cases on the Isle of Man at the moment in time, Alex, and we have no one in hospital, no one seriously ill. But I'm sure David, who will have analysed that data, um, will be able to give uh, a more detailed um, informative comment on it. Yeah, Alex, that when you say scientists, you're referring to one particular piece of modelling that was done for the UK. Now, that modelling is not entirely accepted by everyone. 
In fact, there are people out there, such as, for instance, Professor John Bell, who advises the government who doesn't agree with that modelling that has come forward. And in fact, the real world data isn't actually at the moment showing that in the UK. So, for instance, if the last set of most recent set of data from the UK, the complete set of data is the 13th of July. So what's that? 48 hours ago, where there's 694,298 active cases. Of those, 3,615 are in hospital, so that's 0.52% of active cases. There's 522 requiring ventilators, and that's 0.08% of active cases. And the daily deaths as a percentage of active cases is 0.01. Now, that is the lowest these figures have been in the whole pandemic period. And as the UK vaccine rollout has gone along, you can actually plot it on a graph and see how it's fallen away. And that compares to, say, seven months ago on the 13th of January, where the UK had 1.7 million active cases and they had 37,000 people, well, nearly 37,500 people in hospital and over three and a half thousand people on ventilators so the picture is very different and also when numbers like that are quoted it can sound very scary to us as a population of an island of 85,000 but we have to put it into context those are numbers in the UK against a population of roughly around about 68.1 million um, so, in fact, actually, the numbers in the UK currently, although we keep getting media headlines around hospitalisations are doubling, they're doubling from a very, very low level, a much lower level than they've been at other peaks. Um, and even although the UK case numbers are going up, hospital admissions and the death rate is not keeping pace with that. But we do have to be honest as an island. As we come to live with COVID, there will be hospitalisations, as the Chief Minister said in his speech. Um, it would be remiss to say we're going to not have any more hospitalisations. There will be people in hospital. And as with other diseases, unfortunately, from time to time, tragically, there may be a death here and there. Um, and we, we have to acknowledge that as an island. But as we move forward, we have taken cautious steps. We haven't exactly mirrored the UK. Um, we have put different measures in place. And I actually think that at the moment, the data that's driving it um, is right. We're not saying it's a one-way street. We keep an eye on the hospitalisation figure, and that is now our measure. If we saw issues with the hospital and with hospitalisation, then we would have to consider what we did in response to that. Yeah. I think it's also, if I can just interrupt there a sec, Alex, before you move on to your next question, I think it's important to note too that sometimes people who are terminally ill will have COVID and COVID won't have killed them, but it will be recorded that they died with COVID. And, and we, we had a number of, um, of, of our, sadly, of our, of our deaths on the Isle of Man that came under that category. So we may well have people who are seriously ill in hospital and it will be we will say that someone is in hospital with covid but covid may just be something that's there but it's not the issue that's making them to be seriously ill so we have to take that on onto account we've also obviously um, ensured that we we do the 2 plus 2 so it's not just anyone coming in from the united kingdom it's people who are fully vaccinated and who've had the um, two week gap but as i say we have to learn to live with this sadly people will die from another of a number of illnesses and flu and and the common cold is, is is one of them and we're seeing less of that because we've improved our our hand hygiene for it for example but these events will be out there and sadly we're going we're seeing all sorts of reports coming out and there's an element of scaremongering and sensationalization of some of these reports and some of them are, are, are very factually correct and we're more than happy to give a comment 
on um, what is being put out there and, and try and put it in, in a, um, a balance for the island. Thank you. Can I ask how many people you would expect to end up in hospital or to die um, based on your modelling then? Well, we don't have modelling on how many people we expect to die. We are doing our utmost to ensure that we have no deaths have on no the Isle deaths. of Man. I think if you look at the UK rate per 100,000, it's over 190. If you pro-rata that on the Isle of Man, it's just over 30. I think it's 34. So we are doing our utmost, Alex, to ensure that the people of the island are protected. But sadly, people will die on the Isle of Man um, through various illnesses, and they may well have COVID at the same time. Um, that's something we are doing our utmost to reduce the, the, the risk. But at the end of the day, we also have people whose mental health is being destroyed because of restrictions with COVID. We've seen an increase in suicides. We're seeing operations being cancelled or historically because we've had to um, put wards aside for, for, for COVID. So trying to get that balance right is, is incredibly hard. But I think the record that this administration has um, it, it's pretty good compared with an awful lot of jurisdictions around us. Thank you. Yes, um, David. Can I just move on then? Um, so, sorry, um, Alex, if I could just come in as well with one yeah. final point, which is actually a very interesting thing that I heard yesterday um, from some conversations I had with people in the UK, is the figure actually of daily deaths from people not being able to receive other medical treatments due to COVID restrictions um, has actually now overtaken COVID, the rate of COVID deaths in the UK. And we have to remember that as well, that what we do, there's other medical conditions out there. There's people suffering from cancer. There's people suffering from other conditions that need to be treated as well alongside COVID. So I thought that was quite an interesting piece of information I had shared with me from a conversation I had with someone in the UK yesterday. Yes, that the figures have now overtaken in terms of deaths from other illnesses who've been waiting for treatment due to COVID. Thank you. Um, just to round it off then, I suppose, that there have been some suggestions, increasingly on social media, you might have guessed, uh, suggestions from perhaps the more, how should I put it, uh, tinfoil helmeted among us, that the bottlenecking at the A&E this week was caused by people having side effects, severe side effects from COVID vaccines. Are you able to provide any figures on people who've presented at A&E with vaccine injuries? And indeed, what would you say to people who still haven't taken up a vaccine offer. David. Can I take that, Chief yeah. Minister? Um, so I am happy to answer that one, Alex. It's not true whatsoever. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm afraid that's something that someone has literally just made up and shoved out on the internet. Um, absolutely flabbergasted by that one. It's not true whatsoever. In terms of people um, presenting, with, um, presenting with issues around the vaccine, it's been literally a handful throughout the entire vaccination period that have presented. And in some of those cases, it's not turned out to be anything to do with the vaccine. Um, so it is not true whatsoever. And what I would say is the vaccine offers the best protection we have of a society of getting out of this. Um, we've already quoted the figures where 89%, basically 88 going on 89% of the adult population have had at least one dose. There is 72% of the adult population that now have had second dose. I would urge people to look at the actual real world figures. Look at what's happening in the UK. Go online, plot out on a graph compared to their cases, their death rate, their hospitalisation rate, and plot it against the take up of vaccine. And as the vaccine take up goes down, the other lines go goes up, sorry, the other lines go down. And I would say to people, it's not just about protecting yourself. By getting vaccinated, you are also helping to protect us as a community. So I would urge anyone 
who is eligible for a vaccine to come forward. As I've always said, it is personal choice. Um, I would never try and force someone to have a vaccine. Um, from my point of view, it is personal choice. People need to make their own decisions. But I certainly, as Minister for Health and Social Care, would urge people to come forward and be vaccinated. Thank you very much, Alex. And it's always good to hear from the comedy side of, of Facebook sometimes. And I think we have to realise that an awful lot of what appears on Facebook just isn't true. And I would urge people to just check for themselves. Most people have a laugh at some of the comments on, on, on Facebook. But to, to think that the hospital's swamped with people who have had bad reactions, you, you know, just isn't true in any way, shape or form. But I suppose never let um, truth get in the good way of a, of, of a story. But anyway, thank you all very much for your questions today. Um, that's all for today, but I'm sure you'll all join with me in wishing Cav all the very best. And we genuinely hope that he can win another stage and, and set a world record. He's a fantastic ambassador for the Isle of Man, a credit to the Isle of Man. And I wish him well. And um, if you have time to come down to the screen at the Villa Marina, it'll be um, showing from two o'clock on Sunday. And um, I think it'll be a fantastic event. So thank you all very much. Have a great weekend. Bye bye.